Melissa, after you have that, you want to pray for us? Heavenly Father, I thank you for this blessing and cool day, Father. I thank you, Father God, for um, just this fellowship, and I pray for a blessing for over all of us, Father, and over the message that you implanted in Rob today, Father. May we be blessed by your presence, and thank you for just another day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
Palestine, as many of you know, back in December, while we were believing for a miracle, things didn't quite turn out how we had expected. But for us, the, the journey ahead of us was, can we still proclaim the truth that God is our healer, that God is the God who raises the dead, that, that God is good? And so as, as we continued on um, from losing our son, it was really important for us to keep the truth of who God is in front of us. So we started writing songs, and this song um, is about God's miracle power. And for us, it's really important to proclaim that, even though we didn't quite see what we had expected and what we were praying for, but we still know that it's true. I know many of you guys were on that journey with us, so for me, it feels like this song is sort of a victory for all of us. These are your songs too, so.
thank you for that truth, Lord. That God, you are a God of miracles. And thank you, Father, for the work that you've begun in us. Your word says that you are faithful to complete it. Your word reminds us, God, that you don't neglect the work of your hands. And we are that work. Thank you, Father, that your word says that you never leave us nor forsake us. We have this hope in Christ, and that hope in you, Lord, will never disappoint us. So, Father, as we come this morning to just kind of sit at your feet, Lord, and hear from you, I pray, God, that we would be attentive. I pray, God, for the soil of our heart to be good soil. Father, to receive your word. And in receiving it, Father, that it will be rooted in our hearts, that we truly live lives that are being transformed day by day until we are finally complete when we're with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we head to Mark chapter 2, I'd like you to go to Psalm 107. <clears throat> found a lot of it. Encouragement this week as I've been reading through the book of Psalms. And if you want a good book to kind of start going through, good morning. Um, I know we're already in Mark and I'm encouraging you to study through Mark, but if you want something else to add to your devotional time, um, I would encourage you to start going through uh, the book of Psalms. Psalms 107. Listen to as these words are being read. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. He has gathered the exiles from many lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in the wilderness, lost and homeless, hungry and thirsty. They nearly died. Lord, help, they cried in their trouble, and he rescued them from their distress. He led them straight to safety, to a city where they could live. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. For he satisfies the thirsty 
and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness and deepest gloom, imprisoned in iron chains of misery. They rebelled against the words of God, scorning the counsel of the Most High. That is why he broke them with hard labor. They fell, and no one was there to help them. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He led them from the darkness and deepest gloom. He snapped their chains let them praise the Lord for His great love and for the wonderful things He has done for them. For He broke down their prison gates of bronze. He cut apart their bars of iron. Some were fools. They rebelled and suffered for their sins. They couldn't stand the thought of food and they were knocking on death's door. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble. And he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them, snatching them from the door of death. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them sacrifice of thanksgiving. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and sing joyfully about his glorious acts. Some went off to sea in ships, plying the trade routes of the world. They too observed the Lord's power in action, his impressive works on the deepest seas. He spoke, and the winds rose, stirring up the waves. Their ships were tossed to the heavens and plunged again into the depths. The sailors cringed in terror. They reeled and staggered like drunkards, and were at their wits' end. Lord, help! They cried in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He calmed the storm to a whisper and stilled the waves. What a blessing was that stillness as he brought them safely into harbor. Let them praise the Lord for his great love and for the wonderful things he has done for them. Let them exalt him publicly before the congregation and before the leaders of the nation. He changes rivers into deserts and springs of water into dry, thirsty land. He turns the fruitful land into salty wastelands because of the wickedness of those who live there. But he also turns deserts into pools of water, the dry land into springs of water. He brings the hungry to settle there and to build their cities. They sow their fields, plant their vineyards, and harvest their bumper crops. How he blesses them. They raise their families there, and their herds of livestock increase. When they decrease in number and become impoverished through oppression, trouble, and sorrow, the Lord pours contempt on their princesses, causing them to wander in the trackless wastelands. But... He rescues the poor from trouble and increases their family like flocks of sheep. The godly will see these things and be glad while the wicked are struck silent. Those who are wise will take all of this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord.
all of these different circumstances led the people to cry out, Lord, help. Lord, help, they cried. And he responded. He helped them. He saved them. He provided for them. He cared for them. He delivered them. That's our God, y'all. That is whom the one, if you're sitting here today and you're calling yourself a Christian, a follower of Christ, the one in whom you say you serve, the one in whom not only do you say you serve, but that you are to reflect. Because as a Christian, you're to be Christ-like. Do you remember when you were first forgiven? I want you to think about that today before we head into our chapter. Do you remember what it was like to receive his forgiveness? Have you ever cried out to him? When you saw your need for a savior, when you just couldn't go on anymore in yourself and in your situations and in your circumstances, you saw yourself as a sinner and complete rebellion towards God. And you bowed your knee and you said, yes, Lord. I'll receive your free gift of salvation. And in an instant, you were forgiven. You didn't have to work for his love. You didn't have to clean yourself up to receive. No, he was pleased to reveal himself to you through Jesus. Man doesn't have to teach that to you. God himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, draws you to him. He reveals himself to you. And in that, you come and you surrender your life. And you say, God, not me any longer, but you. I trust you. I believe in you. You are the God of miracles. Because you changed my life. Has he changed your life? <clears throat> That's the question. That's the question today. Again, it's not about being perfect. It's not about following the rules and laws that man tries to establish to be a good Christian. No, see, when he's changed your life, you recognize that there's still works of flesh going on in you. But the difference is, is that you don't allow the works of the flesh to master you. You see them. And you humble yourself before him. And you repent. You're transparent before God and before man. So you're not living to live a life that pleases man's rules. No, you're living a life to please God. And God has set up standards. And I know in this day and age, a lot of what you hear that goes under the name of Christianity gives you the right to yourself. And I've encouraged you all, if you're hearing a message that gives you the right to self, 
or even a message that gives you rules to follow. Run from it. Flee from it. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. Jesus Christ is the gospel. That is the truth. He is the living word. He came to set us free. He knows our sinful nature. He knows what we were born into. This flesh. This rebellion towards God. And yet he comes. And he says, follow me. He doesn't say follow yourself. There's nowhere you'll find where he tells people, continue to live how you want. It's, it's, I'm okay with it. No. He knows that that way leads to destruction. And Jesus has no part of destruction. No, he comes to give life and life in the abundance, wholeness, healing. Your ways will lead you on a path of destruction. And you can slap Jesus' name on, on you if you want, but it still doesn't change the fact that you're living for self. See, the reality is, is that are you following him? Are we following him? Or have we been led astray by the enemy, by the world, and by our own very desires? That leads us to believe somehow we're following Jesus and in reality we're not. Reality, we're not. That's why it's important to keep Jesus in the center. Years ago, there used to be this. There was this big move on, you know, what would Jesus do? WWJD. Everyone had shirts. Everyone had bracelets. Everyone was talking about it. It was a big move. You know. Bless you. And you know what? The truth is, is that's what should be before us. Each and every day. Each and every second. What would Jesus do? Because that's whom you say you're following. What would Jesus do? And in that, am I honoring him by doing this? Or thinking this? Or living this way? Because we can make all the excuses that we want for the sin in our life. But the question is really how much sin is okay? In our lives. And really, reality is none. Why? Because sin has been stripped of its power. You choose to allow it to master you, if that's what you want. Jesus defeated sin and death. So in reality, what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus wouldn't abide there in a form of selfishness, or in a form of whatever the sin wants to manifest in your life, he wouldn't abide there. So why are you? Why am I? You see, we're supposed to live lives that honor him. See, we opened up the book of Mark last week, and we realize that Mark wrote this gospel, inspired by the Holy Spirit, to inspire the church in Rome. And remember I told you last week, this book is the shortest of the Gospels. He gets right to the point. He's not trying to lay out the understanding of who Jesus is or why Jesus came or all the historical prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. No, he gets right to the point and he's reminding these believers this is who he is, but he's focusing more on his actions than his words. 
And we're going to see him kind of write this gospel real quick. And we're going to hit a, a, a different parts of the gospels if you've ever studied through the gospels in, 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 a, in a faster fashion, if you would. But he wants to keep Jesus presented as the humble servant. Yet though he's God, yet though he's king, Lord of lords, king of kings, he came to serve. And I want to keep challenging us, how are we serving? See, your life is being transformed. The more you get over yourself, the more each day that you die to yourself, the more that you're going to be willing to serve. First him and then others. Because I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at him. I'm looking at you. And the same with you all. How are you serving out there? How are you reflecting Jesus to others? What do they see him as they look? And how do they see him as they look at your life? This church, as we talked about last week, was intense, under intense persecution at this time. Christians were being rounded up hung on the crosses throughout the city, and at night lit up, and their bodies burned. Nero, the emperor, was a madman, and he hated Christians. He would round them up, bring them into the Colosseum. The Colosseum was packed full of people, and they would watch Christians have dead carcasses laid on them of these animals. And as they're in the middle of this ring, wild animals would be released to come in and just devour them. And in devouring them, the people cheered. And yet they're being reminded, remember who Jesus is. Don't lose sight of who he is. Don't give up hope. Remain steadfast in your faith. Cling to him. Cling to him. In a culture in Rome where everything was permissible, every type of perversion, every type of wickedness, every way you want to live, you could live. And the Christians were being reminded, don't go that way. Don't be tainted by your culture. Go impact your culture with the good news of Christ. Don't grow, don't grow weary in doing good. Don't hide from the culture. Don't attack the culture. No, live among them. Reveal to them who Christ is. Serve them. Love them. Even if they hate you even if they drag your bodies into the Colosseum or they nail you up on crosses and light you up in the middle of the night, forgive them. Wow. This is the God in whom we serve you all. This is the God whom has called you out of this world and has purposed you for this generation, your generation, to go out and not be influenced by the culture, but to influence the culture with truth. And not everybody is going to be receive it. Some will, some won't. But 
as we open up this book, and as we go through today's chapter, I want you to remember the church that this was written for. Because just as it was written for them, it's written for us today. Your faith is constantly being tested. Rather it's at your job, rather it's at your school, rather it's in your home, rather whatever. Everything's going to present itself to you. And you have decisions to make. I can do me. Or I can really realize who I am and I can just surrender to Christ. I can learn to mature and to grow. I will not take upon the false gospel. The Word of God warns us all through that there's a false gospel being presented in every generation. The church, the letters to the churches all in the New Testament, it warns them constantly. There's going to be those who are going to creep into the church and they're going to present a false gospel. There's going to be those who are going to be among the fellowship and they're going to look godly. But in reality, the wolves in sheep's clothing. There's going to be those who are going to present themselves and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I know Jesus. But yet their life has no fruit that bears that evidence. There's going to be those who say, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm a Christian. I've been baptized. I, I go to church. I follow this, I do this, I don't do this, I do this, I don't do that. And they're so far from Christ because they believed a false gospel. And it's been around since the beginning. See, the false gospel continues to give you the right to remain in sin and feel comfortable with it and to excuse it in your life. The false gospel presents you a Jesus that is not victorious. Somehow we're waiting for him to return, and then everything is done. Oh, let's we not forget, Jesus has already said it is finished on the cross. What he came and purposed to do, he completed. That's why we, those who believe in him, those who call themselves Christians, can live victorious lives. No matter our circumstances, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through, not a perfect life, but a victorious life. Even in the midst of your chaos, even in the midst of your struggle, even in the midst of just hell on earth, you can still live a victorious life because of Him. The one who came. The great I am. The one that we are called to worship. The one. That all elements of creation has to submit to his authority. And we've talked about this before. Isn't it interesting? The wind, the waves, the stars, the moon, the ocean, animals, demons, all have to submit to his authority. But you and I, we have a choice. We have a choice. Submit or don't. It's your choice. It's my choice every day.
every day, throughout our day. It's your choice. And whatever you choose is what you'll be held accountable to. You choose to submit, you choose to live a life that honors Him. When you stand before Him, He'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter in to your reward and to my rest. If you choose not to, you're still going to stand before Him. And in that, He's going to say, depart from me, you worker of iniquity, you worker of sin. I don't know you. Remember we said last week, a lot of people say, how can a loving God send people to hell? Oh, he doesn't. You choose. Because you've lived a life that says you're not God. And please, again, let's be mindful of the false gospel. You can't say he's God and still live for yourself. And still be enslaved to sin. Or still live in sin and somehow think, well, he's still God. That's torment. Either he's God or he's not. Everything else, every other element has to submit to his authority. You don't. That's how love is expressed, you all. There's no greater love than this, that a man will lay down his life for his friend. And Jesus came and that's what he did for us. And in return, that's what he calls us to. Do you love me? He says, yes, Lord. That's the expression of love, not just your words. There's a lot of people who tell you, oh, I love you, oh, I love you, and they abuse you. <laughs> they could care less about you. How does that work? It's not love. True love, true love is the expression of servanthood. It's the expression of servanthood. Be mindful who you say you love and if you don't serve them because you really are not serving, you're not loving them, and you're only lying, and you're working in deception and manip manipulation just to probably get what you want. That's not love. You want to know if someone truly loves you? They'll serve you. And not a forced serve, because I'm serving you, not expecting anything back. That's true love. <clears throat> There's no hidden agenda in true love. True love is, I lay my life down. See, these Christians understood that. There's Christians in our generation that understand that, and that's why they go into these places, these remote places, or even these, these places out there where maybe a lot of Christians probably wouldn't go, but they go to serve the homeless, the sick, the needy. They had those that are strung up with addictions. They're not hiding in their buildings, just showing up on Sundays, or anytime the doors open, doing their religious duties. And yet their life has no expression of true love. This beautiful picture of surrender. This beautiful picture of love is Christ, Jesus. So today we're opening up in chapter 2.
before we get there, I wanted to share with you. Today we're going to start with the first one. But as we're working through over this um, gospel, there's going to be five different themes that you're going to see within these words. We're going to see Jesus as the Son of God. We saw that last week after his, after he was baptized. We're going to see Jesus Christ, and we've been talking about this, as a servant. Then we're also going to understand discipleship, miracles, and evangelism. But I want you to hear these words about Jesus Christ being known as the Son of God. Jesus was God in the flesh. When Jesus lived on earth, he clearly told his followers, the crowds, the religious leaders, and his accusers that he was the Son of God. And he demonstrated this truth by forgiving sins, controlling the forces of nature, and overcoming disease, demons, and death. In addition, Mark affirmed the divinity of Jesus by reporting the voice from heaven at Jesus' baptism. You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. The transfiguration and the resurrection. Truly Jesus was and is the Son of God. So how is that important for us today? The truth that Jesus, the man, is also God means that Jesus has the authority to forgive sins and to change lives. In fact, he died in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. So we can trust in Christ for forgiveness and eternal life. It also means that he is truth and our authority. Those who know Christ as Savior must obey him as Lord. Christ was fully man, but he was much more. He was and is fully God. Do you know him as Savior? Do you follow him as Lord? Chapter 2, verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room even outside the door. <laughs> While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. Let's stop there for a second. We already understand that the crowds were pressing into Jesus. Everybody wanted to be around this man. Who is this man with such authority that even the demons have to submit to him? Who is this man that preaches God's word that gives us hope? Because remember, at this time, these people had the religious order. They had men, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who, if you looked at them, looked really godly. Like they were in with God. They spoke, and people followed them. And yet, they were keeping people from God. They made up these rules, these laws. They added on to the law that God had already established. They wanted control over the people. That was not their position. God should be the authority over his people. Not man, God. And yet they set up a system that promoted them and not God. They promoted their position and not God. 
And so now all of a sudden, the Messiah, the one in whom they know was to come, is among them, and yet they don't know him. Because they're so consumed with themselves, with their position, with their good works, with their relationship with God, that they miss God himself in front of them. people were beginning to hear a message of freedom, a message of hope. People were beginning to see healings take place, miracles take place. Who is this man? And they packed in wherever he went. So he's back in town. It says... There was no more room even outside the door. And while he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived with a paralyzed friend. I want to ask you this. Who are your friends? Who are your close companions? Who are you trying to fit in with? It's important because who you hang with really reflects who you're following. If you have godly friends, like Christian friends, people who would carry you to Jesus, who will remind you of Jesus, even when you don't want to hear They will remind you who he is and who you are in him. They care enough about you to know that your spiritual condition is much more of concern to them than your physical pleasure or any other condition. You see, these men knew the condition of their friend. And they knew that Jesus was back in town. And what... I love, when I study through the gospel, I love these people's faith. As you read through the gospel, you see all these different people. They didn't care about their culture. They looked beyond the religious institution. They didn't fall under the, the trap or the mindset, well, we're not supposed to do it this way. No, they did it because they just want to get closer to Jesus. These men were desperate. These men wanted to see their friend healed. And they could have looked at the crowd of people. The place was packed. And they could have said, oh, there's no way we're going to get to him. Let's just leave. Careful. People who like to agree with you on your life that looks so bad. They like to agree with you. Yeah, your situation really, oh yeah, oh I'm so sorry. There's no encouragement. They're just in agreement with you. Careful. Careful of who you allow to speak into your life. 
Because we like people to agree with us. When our eyes are off Jesus and they're on our poor little life and all oh, this and all oh, that, and we can just ramble on and on about our poor little lives. Oh yes, oh that's just horrible. I don't want you looking at my circumstance, you all. I want you to remind me of who Jesus is, no matter what I'm facing. And it should be the same with you. I love these men. I want friends like them. These men were not giving up. These men were like, it's crowded, there's a lot of stuff going on, but we're going to get to him. We're going to get to him. We didn't come this far to stop. The same with you all. He didn't begin this work in you. You didn't entrust your life to him just to stop because life gets hard. We've all been there. If we haven't been there, we'll get there. Life just seems hard. Circumstances just don't look right. They don't look favorable. Might as well give up. It's, you're stuck. Nothing's going to change. Look how even the situation ended up. What I was hoping for didn't come to pass, so, you know, just forget it. And we talk that way, and then somehow we give ourselves the right to talk that way because we tag on God understands that I'm angry. God understands. I could talk to him however I want. And we make him so common, and we strip him down, and we make him so common as he's just a homeboy that's hanging out with me. No, he's God. He's God. Honor him. Through it all. We need to be a people who persevere. We need to be a people who understand that trials, situations come in our life, and they have to come, because that's how you grow up. That's how the only way that you're ever going to mature as a believer is the trials that are in your life. And the people on the outside looking at your life will recognize that you're a believer because you're not one that just sits up and takes up camp in your misery. I'm tired of Christians being defined by their misery. No, you're defined by God. By God. And so you've got to get a little oomph in you just to get up each and every day. That's what it takes each and every day, no matter how your circumstances is pressing on you, that you get up every single day and say, he's God. Yes. And in the midst of all of this, God, teach me how to serve. Teach me how to keep my eyes set upon you. I want to be like one of these friends, God, that persevere through whatever is hindering us getting to you. He was preaching the word of God. Jesus, the ultimate teacher. And we're going to see that as they lowered this man down before him, he wasn't angry. Why are you disrupting my service? I'm trying to preach the word of God. No. He's moved. By these men's faith. And he's moved with compassion. And yet though, as we're about to continue to read, 
he heals this man physically, but the whole point of this was not for his physical healing. You're going to see that the true miracle is salvation. A spiritual healing. Remember what I said earlier? Do you remember the day that you were forgiven? It should be every day you're remembering that. He forgives this man of his sins. He heals him spiritually. A wholeness that this man had never known before. That is so much greater than a physical healing. There's a lot of people who have been healed physically and yet they forget God. Yet they forget him. But ones who have been spiritually healed, transformed, renewed, oh. even some of our darkest days, that light is always there reminding us. No matter how far we may want to go from God, he is there and he's reminding us, you don't belong there, you belong here. He was preaching the word of God. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. <laughs> they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Jesus was preaching a sermon. He was preaching God's word. All of a sudden, dust, the roof is falling in, and this man is being lowered. It didn't say to the side, to the back, or in that part of the room. No, right in front of Jesus. Man, these guys weren't giving up. We're going to get you to Jesus no matter what. They climbed on the roof. And not only that, they had to carry, not only did they carry him, I'm sure, for miles, now we're pulling him up on the roof. And we're going to be bold enough in our faith that we're going to lay, drop you right in front of them. Wow. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Seeing these men's faith. How does Jesus see your faith? He sees. He knows your heart. He knows if you're really for him or you're against him. He sees your faith. Do you believe? Do you believe? Whatever you're facing today, do you believe? He saw these men's faith. And then he looked at the man. And he says, my child, your sins are are forgiven. Now, remember the religious men of the day, God's men, if you would. They knew God, and yet they didn't know him. They said they were God's men. Oh, did they hear this? He's forgiven people's sins. 
Remember, they should know that he's the Messiah. But they're more concerned about their position. Who is this man that has forgiven sins? Who is this man that's trying to trump our authority? We've got to do something about him. We're going to see them react. But some of the teachers of the religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, Who is saying? Who is he saying? I'm sorry, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. And I love this. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in, our, in your hearts? It is, easier, is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, Your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through, through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Jesus, you all. Being challenged by these religious leaders. He knew their hearts. He knew what they were saying. He called them out on it. And in this, he heals this man physically now. His sins were forgiven. And now Jesus looks and says, Get up. Stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. And I love this man's reaction. He got up, he picked up his mat, and he took off. Everyone. Remember, there's a crowd of people. Not only did they witness the forgiveness of sins, the rebuke of the religious people, but the healing that occurred. Wow, who is this man? Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Just like the calling of the other disciples that we saw last week. Here's Levi, whose name as we know to be Matthew. He was a tax collector. You were a tax collector in those days? That's in our day, but mainly in that day. <laughs> they had a bad reputation. They were the, kind of the worst of the worst. They were thieves. And yet, Jesus sees him. He says, come, follow me. Remember what I explained to you about the calling of disciples especially in that culture. If a Jewish rabbi, a teacher, called you to be one of his disciples, that was oh, like the greatest reward. I mean, that's the greatest offering that you could ever get is to be called as one's disciple. Remember, I told you that these disciples would follow so closely to their teacher because they wanted to hear everything the teacher was teaching and saying. 
Do you imagine Jesus? The teacher? God himself calling you? Could you imagine, even if that time you didn't know him to be the Messiah or God, but yet you've heard of this one who is speaking with such authority, healing people, you're sitting there, the worst of the worst, and he looks at you and says, come, follow me. Remember I told you last week, he wasn't looking for the religious crowd who thought they had it all right with God. No, he's looking for the broken. He's looking for those who need a Savior. Who is this man who would have something to do with Levi, with Matthew? And I know, and we've talked about this before, I know a lot of us like to remain in our sin and kind of hang out with sinners because that's what Jesus did. And we use that that as an excuse to sin along with the sinners. That doesn't make sense. But truth is, Jesus did hang out with the sinners. But the reality is, is he didn't lose himself among them. He hung out with them in hopes that they would come to know him. He didn't get drunk with them. He didn't have sex with them. He didn't do the things that everyone was doing in hopes that they would come to, oh, he's cool, let's hang out with him. Oh, no. He spoke God's word to them. He remained who he was among them in hopes that they would be Awaken to truth of who he was to heal them. He came to seek and to save the lost. And so then who are we as we come to Christ and then as we collectively become the church, look at sinners and go, ooh, we're better than you. Clean yourself up and then you can come among us. Or the other side, who are we to think that we belong to Christ and then we're just, well, we're going to rebel against the religious establishment and then we're just going to hang out with sinners but we're going to act like them. Because that's how I'm reaching them for Jesus. You're not reaching them either way because that's not what Jesus did. No, Jesus went among them but he didn't get tainted by them. He wasn't afraid to go out into the world because he knew who he was. He knew his purpose for them was to serve them, to love them, to reveal himself to them. And that's your purpose as a Christian. You don't have to be afraid of the world. You don't have to go out there and and damning them to hell. They already stand judged. But you do go out there and you live your life among them. So they see something different within you. And in that they go, there's something different. What is it? I'm a follower of Christ. I'm a follower of Christ. See, a lot of times what we do with the world is we tell them they have to clean themselves up. You got to do this, you got to do that, you got to do this, you got to do that. 
And the word of God's already said that they're blinded, that the enemy, the devil has blinded their hearts and their minds. They don't understand that. So when we go and we preach to someone who is not saved, someone who is lost, and we tell them they've got to do this, they've got to do that, they've got to do this, they've got to do that, they don't understand it. So that, that's, a, that's a heavy burden like that. I can't do that. But when you present Jesus to them, let me tell you the one who came. Remember that song that we open up with? If he's redeemed you, say it. Mm-hmm. Tell others about it. This is who I once was. This is what he's done in my life. This is who I am now because of Christ, my Savior, my Lord. This is what he's come to do. And if he's done it for me, do it for you. Like he freely gives this of his great love. But in that, let's not leave it there for them. Let's be truth about the wholeness of the gospel. Because Jesus himself has said and continues to say, consider the cost before you follow me. Consider the cost it's going to cost you everything. You're going to have to lay down your life. You're going to have to give up your rights. Because the true expression of love is one will lay down their life. So I don't want to leave you hanging as I'm presenting the gospel to you and just be like, oh, this and that, and oh, isn't this nice and beautiful? Receive it. Oh, no. Like, before you take. It's going to cost you something. you're going to have to love him in return. Because that's how love is displayed. You're going to have to lay your life down. Jesus' words. Before you follow me, consider the cost. He's not looking just for a band of people to say, oh, Jesus, Jesus. No, he's, not. he's looking for people who are seriously Understanding who he is and what he has come to give. He already knows not everybody's going to receive him. Not everybody is going to be on the bandwagon. No, consider the cost. It's going to cost you everything. Go study what the call of a disciple is. And everybody's so quick to call themselves Christians today because I go to church. What does that make you? You You know if you're a Christian, if you're following Jesus. Again, not living a perfect life, but a life that when you do sin, you don't allow sin to continue to master you. No, you see it and you go, oh God, forgive me. And you just move on. He was sitting there collecting taxes. In the midst of his sinful life, there he was. And Jesus walks by. Come, follow me. And he gets up. Just like we saw the fishermen last week. Come, follow me. See, Jesus knows his purpose. The purpose is the cross. 
But in that, he also knows that his message has to go forth. Lives are about to change. This earth is about to be turned upside down. Everything that has been going on is about to get a whole new understanding. God himself has come among his creation. And he says it's time to get everything in order. He's bringing everything into order. Chaos has run long enough. Sin has gone on long enough. The rule of the enemy has gone on long enough. And let's not think that the enemy somehow gained this power by overthrowing God. No, reality is it was given to him by God. Mm. See, all things work together under God's authority to bring about his plan to have a people that he will call his own and in return they will call him their God. So that is not be impressed by what the world has to offer or the desires that are from within or how the enemy wants to come a-taunting. Like when we truly get a picture of who God is, he's all-powerful. That's the God in whom we're serving, if you're following him. Like this world is not our home. We're just foreigners, just walking through. We were created for eternity, not for the temporalness of this life. Don't settle for temporalness, you all, just because it fills goods in the, mo in the moment, or it's meeting a need for the season of your life. Like don't go against God for something <clears throat> Matthew was sitting there. <clears throat> Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There are many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And you know what I love about this? How bold he was. Not only was he bold enough to stand up against the religious leaders, he was bold enough to express those that were sitting among him. What did he call them? Sinners? <laughs> but don't you love it? He saw their need. He didn't, he didn't twist his words to make them feel comfortable. No. He's God. He came to be among them. And he didn't dumb down who he was or his message to make them feel comfortable. No. They are sinners. But I've come to make them whole. They're not pretending to be righteous and right standing with God, as you all are. No, 
I've come for them. I haven't come, basically, for you. Remember Jesus told these men, your father's the devil. Mm. What? These were men who people looked at for generations as men of God. They're in right standing with God. They know the law. They know God. They know everything that was written about him. They're in constant prayer, constant worship. They take all offerings and sacrifices them. So sacrifice them so that our sins can be forgiven. And yet Jesus looks at these religious establishment, these men, and says, Your father is of the your father is the devil. only makes sense. Their purpose was to keep people from God and to keep people relying upon them, for them, relying on them to get them to God. What is that? Jesus was among these sinners. He ate with them. He hung out with them. In fact, a lot of them followed him. following. But he kept preaching the word of God. He kept doing miracles. He kept revealing himself to them. There comes a time later, we already know, the book of John captures it, when he starts talking about the cross, when he starts telling them, I'm the bread of life. He begins to really focus on his purpose of who he is and why he came. And they go, this is too hard of a teaching. And they lead him. They go back. They stop following. This is too hard for us to understand. What is he saying, eat of his flesh and drink of his blood? What is he saying, he's the bread of life? Who, who, what is he saying? This is too hard for us to understand. And so they turn and they go back to the way they live. And Jesus watched them go because he knew their heart. Remember, he's already said to them, you're only following me because I fed you. You're always asking for miracles, signs and wonders. What are your motives, you all, for following Jesus? What are your motives? He knows them already. What are your motives? Is he God or not? Because it's easy to sit in church, but when the pastor starts preaching and you start feeling the conviction, and you go, oh, that's just too hard. And you remain in your sin, you get up from church and you go right back into your sin. And it doesn't even bother you. What? And if it does bother you, you make no change. You just kind of grow hard into it. Don't let the message become hard and not respond to it, you all. Be like the twelve when Jesus looked at them and said, Are you going to? Here, go. If you don't want to follow me, if you don't want to believe in who I say that I am, then go along with the rest of them. Go back to your life. Go get everything you need out of this world. Go exist out there. 
Are you going to leave too? Remember they said, where can we go? You hold the words to eternal life. God, that needs to be our hearts cry, you all. Where can you go? What is there to go back to? Why do you allow your sin to keep mastering you? It's not to master you. He is. It's mastering you, again, not because of anyone else's doing, but yours. You choose it. You choose to say whatever that sin is in your life, that it is stronger than God. That somehow it fulfills something within you that God can't. What's hindering our lives is the sin that we keep allowing to master us, but it's not to have authority over us because it's been defeated. You're allowing something that has no power to have power because you focus more on that than you do your God. Jesus was among the sinners. He was invited to come among them. He went. And not only did he go, but the other ones that he just called, these fishermen, they went with him. And you're going to see as he continues to call these 12 among him, he takes them right in with him to these places. And he's beginning to show them how to live. The fullness of his power will not come until they receive the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus knew he had to go so that the Holy Spirit will come. But he takes them right along with them. And he's training them. Just as he does us. Like we're his disciples. That's why this life now has to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. He's been given to us. You receive Jesus, immediately you receive the Holy Spirit. You have the power. The Bible says that what lies within you is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. What? Do you believe that? And if you believe it, then how is sin still mastering you? Like the same, that's what the Bible says. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is within you. And yet, we don't activate it. Why? Because of fear? Because of pleasure? Because of whatever? Yeah, no, y'all. We've got to wake up and start being spiritual people. We really do. We have to stop allowing their cult to have all the power. Mm-hmm. And what power they have, they, it really is no power compared to God's power. You should be getting up every single day and demons should shriek at the fact that you're up. Hell should take notice that you're up. And everywhere your feet tread, you should be proclaiming the goodness of God calling things into order, speaking forth life and not death, taking your thoughts captive that are contrary to God's truth. You want to see power? Start living like a believer. You want to get up from where you've been? Start believing in the one who has called you out. The same power that raised him from the dead is within you. Could you imagine if we're just a small little group of people, if we as a little small group of people believed it? 
Could you imagine if the church at large within the city believed it? Could you imagine if the church at large in our nation believed it? Could you imagine if the church at large around the world believed it? Do you imagine if we all came into unity into this? How the world would look different. Not better. Different. Because this world, that is not be fooled, is not meant to become whole and healed and collectively everything's perfect and we have this perfect peace established here. That is not the mission. The mission is to prepare people for his return. This world is never going to be in perfect peace and settled. No matter how man says it. No, let the church really begin to act who she is. And you talking about great persecution? People will come against it. And begin attacking her left and right. That's okay. That's okay. We're not looking at, looking at making this world better. No, we're looking towards eternity. Because that is our hope. And the one who has come to call sinners to himself. Not so they can, they can remain sinners, but to transform their lives. See, it, when I think of these Christians who are hung on crosses and set ablaze, how horrible of a death But I can only imagine, as others may have been watching. And I think of the, the, the men that they ISIS lined up on the beach months ago before they beheaded them, these Christian men. That picture still stays in my head of their faces. We're so content and at peace. They're about to have their heads. And yet, they kneeled in their faces with their content. And we want to play church. No, it's not about playing church, y'all. It's not about coming to church. It's about go out there and being the church. Get out there, you all, and live. Your lives should be impacting others around you. This culture is getting out of hand, and it's going to, so stop being upset with the world. I don't know why Christians are upset with the world. I really don't. We should be moved with compassion for them. They're going to hate you. If they don't want to, if they don't want to receive Christ, you are going to be an irritant to them. Not just, not, even if you don't say anything. Just because of your good works, it's going to irritate them. But there are going to be those who are going to be drawn to Christ because of your life. So let them see Christ. Again, don't get twisted and say, well, that will have to be perfect. Again, it's not about perfection. It's just about living truth. Let them see that in your weakness, 
He is strong. But don't allow that to give you the right to remain in sin. He hung out with them. He says, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Listen, he's irritating these Pharisees. He's irritating them, and they're on a mission to basically undermine him. So once, when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. But someday the groom will be taken away from them. And they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. So they want to stir up some stuff. See, religious people are all big on their spiritual disciplines. Oh, they're quick to talk about them. Oh, I've fasted, I've prayed, I've I've worshipped all day, I've done this, I've done that. But watch their lives closely. Don't be impressed. Unless their life lines up with how they're saying they're living. In fact, true spiritual people will not boast about their spiritual disciplines. In fact, a lot of times, you won't even know. They don't boast about them. And I love even how they even tried to throw John's disciple in the midst of this. These men didn't believe in who John was. But they're grabbing at straws now. We've got to undermine Jesus. We've got to strip him of who he's trying to be. So let's come at him at all sides. Hmm. Well, Jesus, your disciples and yourself don't look really spiritual, you see. Why don't they fast like the Pharisees and the disciples of John? I love Jesus, y'all. Come on. Get in with Jesus. He is not some weak-willed guru. No, he is God. He is strength. He looks at them and says, Do the wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. Like, why should my disciples fast when I'm among them? I'm with them. Oh, there'll come a time that they will fast. But what, right now, I'm here with them. And then I love this teaching about the old and the new wineskin. You see, Jesus didn't come to do away with the law. He didn't come to do away with the Ten Commandments. No, he came 
to fulfill them. We all need to hear that today. He didn't come to do away with them. He came to fulfill them. Remember when the law was established back in the days? It was established, and it's always been established, to point mankind to God. Because there's none of us who could ever complete and fulfill any of those. Because we're sinners. We're born into sin. We can't keep the law. The law always exposes sin. That's why when religious people want to start laying out all these rules and laws and do's and don'ts, and if you do this, then you're holy. If you do it this way, then you're, then you're truly followers of God. And if you do it that way, then this and that. And that's demonic. That is a demonic teaching. And you say, how is that demonic? Because it's giving you something of yourself to do that adds to what Christ did so that you can be made right with God. Don't believe me? Search scripture. There are religious institutions that call themselves Christian, are believers of Jesus, and they're under demonic authority. And they're leading millions to hell. Because they say, do this, do that, do it this way, do it that way, don't touch this, don't touch that, and you'll be made right with God. No, Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, his resurrection was all that it took. You're right with God because of him Amen. and him alone. Your life is changing. You're growing. You're maturing. There is a standard set in which you should live by, and that's God's standard. That's following Jesus. What would Jesus do? That's how you're to respond. You wouldn't know what he would do if you're not learning and growing. You see, he didn't come to do away with the law. He came to fulfill the law. So let's get a really good, clear understanding of this. So as a Christian then, I'm not to do away with the law, I'm to see the law fulfilled in Christ. So if I'm a Christian and I'm following Jesus, then I already know that I have the victory in Christ, that in Him, if I'm serving Him and I'm growing and I'm maturing, I don't need to be a law, the law to have a burden on me. No, I, the law is fulfilled because of him. And if I'm walking according to the Holy Spirit and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I won't gratify the desires of my flesh. And in that, the law is fulfilled in me because Christ fulfilled it. See, I will honor my mother and father. Why? Because I'm honoring Christ. I won't commit adultery. Why? Because I'm honoring Christ with my mind and with my body. I won't, I won't be jealous or envy of my neighbor and what their possessions. Why? Because in Christ I'm already fulfilled and I have all things that I need. 
y'all getting this? That's how you just start living. I wouldn't murder. Because I recognize life is beautiful. And in Christ, I understand that he's the life giver. So why would I go against him? I would have no other God before me. Because he is my God. It's a whole new way of living. I don't go to church because I have to go to church. No, I want to be in church because I know the church is a gift from God. That the church is to be a place where we are encouraged, edified, and built up. That we do life together. In the good seasons, in the bad seasons. Like we're doing, we're building a community. That's what a church is. A lo the local church is just a community of believers who come together in unity saying we believe in Jesus Christ and in that we're going to learn to grow and to mature and to belong with each other as he leads. <coughs> That's how the church is built. Not under man's programs, man's ways, man's this, man's that. No, it's just a group of people who, who are coming together, just doing life together. The good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm with you till the end. And that's why the church can hold each other accountable. And that's why we ought to be looking at the fruit in our lives and go, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Don't bring that in here. Wait a minute. Why are you living that way? That's sin. That's why we're able to approach each other and hold each other accountable because we recognize that we've already been those who are forgiven and we have a purpose and a plan within our community to go out there and impact our neighbors, our community with the truth of God's word. And so we're living differently, and we're learning to. We're all maybe at different places in our walk. But we all should be growing. If you choose to be a part of this local church, there's many churches out there. But for whatever reason, you've chosen to step into this house and say, I want to belong to this fellowship. Well, then honor Christ in this fellowship. But how do you live your life? Represent Christ and represent this fellowship well. That's your charge. Each and every single day. You've got a place where you can belong. Where you can be real, where you can be transparent. Accountability. A place where you know you have a place of refuge. And you should be create, creating your homes the same way. It should be a place of refuge. And you should live this every day of your life. And there are spiritual disciplines that need to be in your life. Fasting is one of them. Fasting food for a certain amount of time. 
fasting, or maybe it's just a meal, a certain amount of days. Maybe it's fasting media, shutting down social networking, fasting, giving, taking something away from yourself and giving that time to God. You want to grow spiritually? You really want to see the power of God in your life? Begin to fast. It may feel weird at first. Your flesh is going to scream. It's going to want to, but discipline yourself. No, this time's for God. Listen, you all know your flesh. You feel that force within you. Try to fast this week. Watch your flesh just get irritated. That's a force within you. The Bible's very clear. The flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. But like I shared with you before, what you feed breeds. You keep living for the flesh, don't expect to live any other way. The Bible's very clear. You sow to the flesh, you'll reap the flesh. But you sow to the spirit, you'll become more spiritual. You'll, you'll gain a greater knowledge and a greater power. So fast. Jesus wasn't saying fasting was wrong. It just wasn't the time for his disciples to fast. And Jesus also expressed to them in this teaching that there's a new way. There's a new covenant. He brings in this new covenant. Now, again, not to do away with the old, but to fulfill the old. To fulfill it. And he constantly is reminding them. And these men weren't getting it. Let's close. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads to eat, of grain to eat. Oh, but the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, Haven't you read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Boy, these religious leaders. Let's hit him on fasting because his disciples aren't fasting. They don't look really spiritual. And now, the Sabbath. Well, they don't look real spiritual, your disciples over there. They're working on the Sabbath. And if really, if that is truly what they believe, that then themselves are working by trying to uphold to Jesus about the Sabbath. They made the Sabbath so strict, they took the joy away from it. They made it so strict. They had to follow so many 
points and rules and laws all about the Sabbath that the people of God were exhausted. It became so much about them that God wasn't even involved. Wasn't even involved. Could you imagine? Wasn't even involved. And I love Jesus here. Because you remember these men, these religious men, they were real big on David. And Jesus just basically gave them a one-two here. Let's look at David. This one man that you hold in high esteem. Do you not remember what he did? One blow. And then comes the knockout blow. The Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Wow. You see, in Christ, all things are fulfilled. All things are fulfilled. The Sabbath day has been fulfilled. In Christ. So it's not about a day any longer. It's about a lifestyle. It's about a lifestyle. There's a lot of people keeping the Sabbath, rather you believe it to be on Saturday or Sunday, and yet they're going to hell because they don't know Jesus. They know the Sabbath. Their life does not reflect Jesus at all, but yet they'll keep the Sabbath. They're very religious. We can't do this, we can't do that, we can't do this, we can't do that. But what always fascinates me about those who are always real big to talk about the Sabbath is they don't truly follow the Sabbath. If you're going to say you follow the Sabbath, then follow the rule and the law to how the Pharisees set it up to be followed. Then you're following the Sabbath. Might as well follow what you say you're following. But even then, it means really nothing. Because Christ is not the Lord over it. Your Sabbath day has become the Lord. And you're making your Sabbath for the Lord a work that you have to keep to be right with God. And so then, and only then, when the eyes are open, you realize, why am I doing this? Because I can't add to what Christ did. Oh, but the Sabbath day is precious, you all. Because Christ is precious. We should have a day of rest. We should have a time, a day that we set aside for the Lord of the Sabbath. Not for me to meet the requirement. The law has been fulfilled. It's just me accepting a day in which I give to him to honor him. 
But as believers, it's every day. It's just who you are now. It's just how you live. And that's why you see Paul when he's addressing the churches in different letters. That doesn't matter which day you worship, he says. As long as you're worshiping. Don't get caught up in festivals and, you know, man's way of doing things and, you know, feast and all of that. It's good to know them, but don't make them be a priority in which you have to be designed for to be right with God. No. You're right with God all because of Jesus. Jesus. That's it, you all. And that's such good news. Jesus. He came, and he has come to fulfill everything, and he has. And these people that Mark are writing to, he's reminding them, Jesus, keep him in the center of your life. That everything you do and say from here on, as believers, be marked by Jesus. <coughs> I can't work myself right with God. You can't either. But coming to Christ, He changes you. He transforms you. Mm-hmm. He strengthens you. He renews you. Remember the Word of God says, how does He transform us? By the renewing of our mind. By changing the way we think. No longer of the flesh, but of the spirit. No longer seeking to meet requirements. No, but seeking him and what he has fulfilled. And trusting him, you all, each and every day. So as we close with this last song of worship, my prayer is this week, like seriously, you all, Seek him. Ask him. Lord, if there's anything within me that is contrary to you, that is opposite of who you are, then Holy Spirit, give me the desire to lay it down and to trust you. And to trust you. Even if, I, even if my life has to be reordered, and I'm not even sure what it may look like afterwards. But i got to trust the fact that if you're showing me that this sin is mastering me, then I know that you are great. And that you will bring me out of it. So I would just trust in you. And then I would challenge you to fast at some point this week. Not because man is saying for you to fast. No, you're already right with Christ if you've accepted Jesus. If you haven't accepted Jesus, then I don't know why you haven't. Today should be the day. If you have accepted Him and yet you're not living for Him, then I don't know why you would continue to name His name and yet deny His fame. And today will be a day of renewal for you. But to fast from food, from media, from whatever. And in that time, God, here I am. And sometimes it's just being still. 
being quiet, maybe opening up your Bible, maybe finding a devotion, something, whatever, whatever the Lord leads you to do. Maybe it's just to be still. But begin to apply these principles in your life. And the first principle, the first, uh, the first discipline is fasting. Start small. But watch your spiritual life grow, you all. Remember this as we close. The Word of God says to seek Him. And you will find Him if you seek Him with your whole heart. So may it be this week that you seek Him with your whole heart. Amen?
to you.